You're listening to episode 165 of the Christian Travelers Network. Today's topic is a pilgrimage based on Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation. You're listening to Christian Travelers Network, the podcast and platform where travel stories, community, and scripture combine. Hey, Christian Travelers, I'm so glad that you're here because today we're going to be taking a look at some of the Christian and historical significance of Germany. While there aren't really a lot of stories that happen in the Bible in Germany, there are some pretty important historical events that happened. But before I dive into that, I want to once again point you to our website, christiantravelers.net. There you'll find other faith and travel resources and our online platform will be launching soon with resources uh, to help you plan some of your upcoming trips, connect you with other Christian travelers, and more. You can find out more details on our website. But without further ado, let's go ahead and take a look at Germany. When I think of Germany, it just amazes me how many stories have come out of that region that are still impacting us hundreds of years later. And to think of the churches and historical buildings that have been standing literally for hundreds of years. Whereas in the United States, many of the churches that I know that have hit their hundreds or nearing their 200 year celebration uh, are considered old, but yet there's so much more rich history there. Now, one of the significant figures that came out of Germany for the Christian church is Martin Luther. Whether you are a Protestant or not, he made some significant impacts on what many people believe or how they see the church. So today we're going to dive a little bit into his history and then do a little bit of city exploration, what happened in each city and what we can still see there today. So let's go ahead and dive in. Before we can truly take a look at Martin Luther, let's go all the way back to when Jesus ascended to heaven and left the disciples with a mission to go and proclaim Jesus to all nations. At that time, Christians were considered quite rebellious. They were turning against the Jewish beliefs of that day, and they didn't fit in with the pagan and Roman beliefs either. So many of them experienced great persecution. I mean, Communion alone, the belief that they're eating body and blood sounds like a gory and weird religious belief, right? So the confusion and just the rather oddness of it all led to them being persecuted quite strongly. This all changed when Emperor Constantine took his throne and was in a battle. He felt the need to paint a certain symbol that he claims he received in a dream or vision onto the battle shields of his army. This symbol was the X with a P through it. If you've ever seen that symbol before, it's the symbol known for Christ. Um, it's either Greek or Hebrew or something all else entirely, but it was a known symbol for the Christian believers. Once he painted that symbol on the soldiers' shields, the battle turned and they won. He then investigated further and became a Christian himself and began to protect Christians from persecution. In fact, he made it a national day of rest, the Sabbath, um, to be guarded as a way to encourage people to accept and 
uh, recognize the Christian faith. Well, as he did more and more for the Christian church, he felt the need that he should also get more say because he was the ruler, right? Well, as Christians, we know God is the ruler and we are all under him. However, he began to influx his influence until uh, Christianity became so intertwined with government that um, the Roman Catholic Church was born. Now, nothing against Roman Catholics, but historically, this is what we know. Um, at this time period, they were trying to tax the people, the government was, and needing more ways to get money, they created something called indulgences. They were teaching the people that to guarantee that they didn't end up in purgatory, a place between heaven and hell, they had to pay their way to heaven. This strongly contradicted many things that we can see in scriptures today, but because the Bible was still written in Hebrew and Greek, the average citizen wasn't able to read it in German or whatever their language was. So as a result, the pastors were the only ones who knew the true translation and were preaching it to the citizens um, and claiming that indulgences, this additional tax to get to heaven, was in there. Additionally, they said that the Pope was the was God on earth, that he was the equivalent. And this is where Martin Luther enters the scene. In the late 1400s, he's born in a city called Eisleben. If you visit Eisleben today, you will note that Martin Luther was born here. He was baptized here. He preached his last four sermons here before he died and was buried, and you can see a large statue of him there today. But he enters the scene, and he's wrestling with what he wants to do with his life, lots of influence from his father, and one day he gets caught up in a thunderstorm in a city called Erfurt. This must not have been an ordinary thunderstorm, for he surely believed he was going to get struck by lightning and die. And so in a last attempt, he pleads with the Lord and says, if I survive, I will go study and become a monk. And this puts him on a totally different trajectory that will influence Christians then and now. And so he, uh, in Erfurt, is ordained as a pat well, he becomes a monk and studies at the Augustinian Monastery um, and then is ordained later at St. Mary's Cathedral. It's in this time that he's really wrestling with what he's reading in Scripture and what the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church is preaching. The, the Roman Catholic Church was preaching a very works-based belief system. You can earn your way to heaven with indulgences and doing X, Y, and Z uh, by praying and all of these things. And they were still preaching purgatory, and he wasn't finding any of that in the Scriptures. So he begins to wrestle with this and eventually visits a city known as Wittenberg. This is where he nails the 95 Theses to the castle church door, or at least that's what we speculate was the church. Since then, those doors have been burned in a church fire, but have been replaced with steel doors that have the 95 Theses written on them. 
at the time, though, nailing something to the door was a sign that um, something significant was happening. Announcements were nailed to the church doors all the time, simply similar to, you know, a church bulletin or uh, similar to the modern day church email. But here he made a declaration of 95 things he believed the Roman Catholic Church was doing wrong. And he was hoping to create unity, to evoke change in the church, but it wasn't well accepted by the Pope. Now, while you're in Wittenberg, not only can you see this church, but you can also find the church where he married Katharina a Catholic nun who obviously converted um, to, because she married Luther. They had many children together, and this was where they lived most of their married life. Now, Martin Luther's 95 Theses could not go ignored. Um, it was heresy. It was against what the Pope was saying, and because the belief was that Pope was the equivalent to God on earth, he was outright contradicting God. The next city of significance is Leipzig. Leipzig is the city where the Leipzig disputation happened in 1519. This was one of the first disputations and public arguments over the 95 Theses between Martin Luther and another theologian who was a huge supporter of the Pope. This was a crucial argument because it's kind of what set the trajectory into the Roman Catholic Church and Luther splitting off in different directions along with his his uh, individuals who are following his beliefs. Now, this was not Luther's intention. He wanted to unify the church and bring a more loving aspect of God into the picture instead of this God who was so judgmental and harsh that the Roman Catholic Church was presenting. Now, in 1521, Martin Luther was called to appear before the imperial diet in Worms. To me, that's a really weird name because I immediately picture someone eating worms, but that's not what's happening here. He came before the Pope and he had to either declare his undying faith and belief in the Pope or reject the Pope altogether, which remembering that this is God on earth uh, was a big request. Now, he was given simple instructions to pretty much like lay out before the Pope and like come in this humble humble address and really not say anything but when the pope asked him if he had anything to say well here's his one chance to speak to the pope he gives his whole spiel and the pope gets mad he's declared an outlaw and um thus the the church is trying to fight what he is saying about the bible because Martin Luther was on the run, now an outlaw, he ends up going to Eisenach, um, hiding away in the Wartburg Castle, where he spends a significant amount of time translating the Hebrew and Greek into German, the first time it is in a language that the people could understand. If you visit today, you're able to visit this castle, and um, this city was also where he attended as a schoolboy, so you might get to see the schoolhouse where he grew up. 
Now, from here, Martin Luther ends up getting married, as mentioned previously, and eventually ends up in Marburg for the Marburg Colloquy. This was a dispute over the real presence of Christ in communion at the Marburg Castle, which is still there today. In this uh, dispute, they're debating whether or not this is a representation of Christ's body and blood, if it is just solely turns into his body and blood, or if it remains still the wine and bread that we see and also his body and blood. Now, this may seem like a very trivial and unnecessary matter, but Luther found it very important because the way that the Catholics were practicing and teaching communion led to the belief that what Christ did on the cross wasn't enough. It wasn't a once and done. It was a repeated necessary thing. Luther still believed that communion was important, but because he believed that the bread and body was still there, but so was also Christ's body and sacrifice, and that it wasn't just a representation, it was both at once, in, with, and under. Um, in other words, we don't fully understand or grasp what God is doing. Because of that, he was teaching that Christ's sacrifice was once and done enough for us to be forgiven and reunited, reconciled to God. But in our daily sins, we still need that ongoing forgiveness um, as we repent of our sins. And so it was just a very different understanding of the Savior and also, therefore, of our sin. So from this, we get to the Augsburg Confessions in 1530. 1530. In Augsburg, uh, a group of individuals and theologians came to dispute and come to some of the confessions that we know today. Many of us know the Augsburg Confessions, but not only that, other confessions and beliefs have been formed um, through ongoing disputes of similar matters over what the Trinity is and um, if Jesus was truly both man and God. These things that when Christ no longer walked the earth, he wasn't able to answer directly, but our understanding of his sacrifice uh, influenced all of these things. Now, you can go visit Germany and see many of these places of historical significance to Martin Luther, but even if you aren't Lutheran, these impact your religious beliefs still today. Now, why do I say that? Well, from this event, eventually there was a split between the Catholics and the Lutherans. And from there, many believe that Luther hadn't split far enough from the church. While his intention was to unify the church over one scripture, um, many people found that the Catholics had really stifled them. And so they wanted to strip everything that was Catholic from their liturgy, from their service, and from how they worship. Um, maybe I'm being too trivial, but some believe that that's why Baptists no longer baptize babies. That's why, um, the Greek Orthodox, uh, uses a lot of imagery to represent, uh, their faith and their worship and help them connect with God. There are a lot of things that happen from this one point in which Luther said, government is not over God. God is over government and thereby change the trajectory of the Christian church. 
So uh, if you want to know more, I highly encourage you Google. There's a lot of amazing resources out there, but hopefully this has inspired you to take a closer look at Germany and some of the important impacts it made on the Christian church. While you're there, another city worth visiting is Mainz and the Gutenberg Museum. It's the oldest printing museum in Germany, and it has two copies of the world's first printed Bible. What made Martin Luther and all that he was doing so significant was the printing press was just invented at the time, and suddenly people were able to get the book in their hands. It didn't have to be hand-scribed for every person. You could put all the letters in the printing press and print off so many pages at once, thereby creating the first known Bibles that people were able to understand and therefore check the Pope, check the other religious leaders, and make sure that they were teaching what was true to God's word. Another thing worth visiting in Germany is in the Bavarian Alps, uh, is the in a small town called Obermergu. I'm sorry, I know I'm butchering that. But every 10 years, they have a passion play. And actually, there's one happening this year in 2022. And the next one, unfortunately, won't be for another 10 years. Um, it did get delayed during the pandemic. I think it was supposed to happen in 2020. But during two close downs of Germany, it is finally happening again now this year. And I believe that will reset their every 10-year calendar. But um, I encourage you to check that out. It's a five-hour play that reenacts uh, the crucifixion of Christ and his story. It's very impactful, and people literally travel from around the world. What greater way to get to know some of your Christian travel community? But um, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you like today's episode, please hit the subscribe button, leave a review, and continue to pray for this podcast. I know that your prayers are being heard, and this is continuing to make an impact for God's kingdom. If you like today's episode, I really encourage you to check out episode seven. I know that's a ways back, but I talked about how history impacts our travels and how stories like Constantine and Luther impact how we travel today as Christians. Additionally, I encourage you to check out episode 96, Ethical Evangelism with Justin James. There we talk about what it truly means to be a witness while traveling and what are those boundaries between being a witness and bringing your culture into a community. Christ is king over all different cultures and all different communities around the world, and he made this all unique and different. But that doesn't mean that we leave Christ at home when we travel either. So we wrestle with some of those things in that episode. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and until next time, safe travels and God bless.